Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the show, Bob Couture. Thank you, Victor. Honored to be here. Great to have you here. Now, Bob, you've been in this business a little while, and you've been building a portfolio of apartments all over the nation, actually specifically in the Northeast, and I'm very curious to hear more about that. But before we get into the details, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Backstory on me is I did 23 years in in the Army, in the National Guard specifically. I was also, at, at that time, had a career in aerospace and defense on the business side, and I had come back from a deployment. I, I was a different person. The company was a bit different. I knew I wanted to go out and do something on my own. And I decided I was going to get into house flipping. And so I, I left corporate America, got into house flipping. When I was looking at the dollars that I had, I could make those dollars stretch further by going further. And I was, I'm originally from the Springfield, Massachusetts area. My dad was in construction. So I thought it would be a, a soft landing into the, the business by working with my dad and and then looking at flipping houses. And lo and behold, my first two houses did not flip. I became an accidental landlord. And when that mailbox money was coming in, this isn't too bad. So I continued to grow now more purposefully, grow a portfolio. It was, it was started with single family houses. And then I realized when you have a vacancy with a single family house, that's 100% of your income. So I went into multifamily, started picking up on a uh, some small multifamilies. And then I came upon a partner whose family had been doing syndications for the last 40 years. And he wanted to utilize that model. He wanted to do it in Maine, uh, but I had resources in the Springfield Mass area. So decided to test that model out in Springfield. And and then uh, that's where we are today. We've got a property management company in Springfield. We've done some syndications in Southern Maine, and then we have some upcoming ones in Connecticut. Amazing. What a journey. There's no set way to do this. I mean, everyone's path is a little bit different and yours is clearly a unique path. So I love that story. Curious to know a little bit more when you made the transition from flipping, as you said, into being an accidental landlord, what was it about those flips that that caused that flip to fail? Was the margin too thin? Was Were there cost overruns in the construction? What Where did you run into trouble? Oh, great question. I did good on, on the margins. Uh, where I made the biggest mistake was uh, going out to market too high. I had an agent at, the, at that time. I had some different numbers on where I thought the, the property should be listed at. She saw it differently and I, I didn't trust myself uh, enough at, at the time. And then we did that and the property sat. And the next thing we knew it was uh, winter was creeping up on us. I needed to make a decision here and decided to take it off the market and, and rent it. The listing got stale and we could just never catch up at that time. So that was the big mistake on my part, not trusting myself. Yeah, that's a, that's a very powerful lesson. And I love how you got into the world of multifamily investing just by discovering what I think many of us already know in that business, that it's got a lot of the qualities that you look for. It's got scale, it's got sustainability resilience, uh, all of those things together. So fast forward to today, you're in the Springfield market because you have roots there. Apart from that, if you had to stick a pin in the map anywhere in the nation, where would you pick? I would pick the, the Southeast. Florida seems to be calling me or somewhere in, in that area. 
Texas has gotten such a great deal of attention, but I think for us it would be be the Southeast. Well, as always, when you conduct due diligence on anything, there's always the sub-market, there is the team, and then, of course, finally the specifics of the deal. And it sounds like what attracted you to the Northeast, which is not where a lot of investors go these days, is the ability to put together a team that you could trust. And that shouldn't be underestimated. That's vitally important because even a good deal badly manages no deal. So if you've got the makings of a good team at the core, you have the makings of a good business. So I totally respect that decision and support that as a, as a good decision because it was a good business decision, even if it wasn't necessarily the hottest submarket in the nation. Yeah, I love that term, a, a good deal poorly managed. Uh, that's, a, that's great. Well, well said, the, uh, the Northeast, if having the team and the, the boots on the ground that we're managing and that we can control was very, very important to us. A lot of our investors come into this because mostly because of trust, either trust in me or trust in my partner. And then it was something that I felt very comfortable with growing up in that area, understanding that market. And, and Springfield's a tertiary market. So we, we are under the radar of a lot of the bigger players and cut out a, a little bit of the, the competition there. I'm guessing that you're repositioning existing product as opposed to necessarily building new product in that market. Is that right? Spot on, Victor. Spot on. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that we often find, especially in today's market, like you said, there's a lot of money chasing a very small number of deals, and there's probably more opportunity in secondary and tertiary markets, certainly, than primary markets, because there's just too much money chasing too few opportunities. When you're dealing with older properties, how do you protect yourself from functional obsolescence? And how do you protect yourself from having your maintenance budget get away from you and all of a sudden you're upside down on your properties? That's a fantastic question. So how are we doing that is we're looking at, we're constantly looking for small problems and making sure they don't become big problems. Our mantra has been, let's not create our own problems. And it's heavy on preventive maintenance, uh, heavy on budgeting for, we're just wrapping up on our, our capital expenditure budget. And that focus becomes safety first, then where the property will go to what kind of issues that we might be running into. Um, if that's something that we can take on now, like new heating systems, instead of spending all kinds of money uh, chasing, chasing heating problems throughout the winter, it's going to be more cost effective to, to change out that that system, you know, not messing around with any kind of roof leaks. And if we cut corners anywhere, it, it will come to roost. It always does. It always finds its way back. It's just putting that examination on, on that and a lot of preventive care. With older properties, maintenance can become a significant portion of your expenses. What do you do when you find that that's starting to creep up, do you reflect that in higher rents? Are you even able to, to move rents upward? How do you manage that if you find yourself getting squeezed? So we have had the ability to, to raise rents. So the, the rents have been higher. We've been okay on, on our, our maintenance budgets. Where we've been finding the issues have been on plumbing. Plumbing has become really big, our water usage and looking at conservation uh, means and upgrades in, in that area. That's, that seems to be the area that will that continues to kind of creep up on us and bite us in if, if we don't, don't manage that piece. We're well ahead of our projected rents, so I think we might be two years ahead of where we had projected um, on most of our buildings. 
So now it, it's more on coming down on the expenses. Our maintenance piece, I think we, we've always kept the budget high enough given the fact that these are older buildings. We've been pretty good there. Now, what you've described, these are all the aspects of active investing. And oftentimes people go into the world of real estate investing, pursuing this myth of passive income. And of course, there's no passive business. How is it you decided to pursue that path of being an active investor, because it's extremely active by the sounds of it, versus passive investment? Now, when, when you're saying that, that we put the management on a third party and manage the third party, or... Well, when you're the business owner, you're you're an active investor. Yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. Even if you have a property manager, you're still an active business owner because you have to manage the manager. All those decisions always come back to you. Whereas a purely passive investor, they write a check, they sit back, and the mail mailbox money comes in, and they're not hands-on involved in those day-to-day decisions or even the month-to-month decisions. So, how did you make that decision? Where to focus your energies? Uh, it, it comes back to um, our investors in the syndications have done that mostly due to trust in either myself or my partner. And if we weren't active in this, if we didn't have the control in it, it would be much harder of sell. And and then I, I'd, I'd be a lot less comfortable with that kind of structure if, if we weren't so active in it day to day. And you make a, a very good point. This is something that it is very difficult to do if it was on a part-time basis or nights and weekends. So it consumes everyday management of these buildings and those assets for our investors is paramount. And we have to be on that every day. There, there is no passiveness on it. Like, like you identified it as business owners, as property managers, as operators, it, it is an active role every day. Of course, real estate is a team sport. And you talked about being in a syndication business. How do you decide who to pull into your team? What's your makeup of other active investors that make up part of the general partner group versus limited partners that are simply contributing money? How do you decide what the right characteristic is for the next project? Great question, Victor. When we are pulling a project together, it it is usually for, for syndication. The two managers are myself and my business partner and everyone else is a limited partner. That structure and the syndications really attract a passive investor because they've got their own careers that they're worrying about. I find it best said by one of one of my investors uh, says, I love syndications because I can write a check and I can collect checks, but I don't have to deal with anything in the middle. No tenants and toilets. It's, uh, you know, he gets the, the, the quarterly reports and the distributions, but doesn't have to make any kind of decision on that. Now, granted, doesn't have the control on the sell or repositioning or, or anything like that. My partner and I make those decisions, but that's the beauty of the passive investment with syndications. We've got other investors that want to be much more active. They want to own their own properties. My best friend uh, hasn't invested a dime in any of our syndications, but he has a number of properties that we manage. He wants to be involved uh, and know what, what's going on with, with the tenants, make up approvals on repairs that are over a certain threshold. Ultimately wants to have the, be the decider on when to sell the property and because it, he bought that property for specific goals. So it really becomes the goals of each investor. We've had investors that wanted their own property 
thought that they wanted to be uh, very, very active and then come to find out that they, they'd rather just focus on their careers and, and that we're, we're managing it. They'll review their quarterly reports and or, or monthly reports on, on some of the smaller properties and, and, and go from there. So it really comes to the goals of our, our investor. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Bob, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Uh, they can reach me out on my website, www.cp dash property group or they could always call i'm at 310-922-5436 terrific well bob i love the perspective uh love the progress you've made in your journey and for listeners at home definitely reach out to bob at cp-propertygroup.com and in the meantime have an awesome rest of your weekend go make some great things happen and we'll talk to you again tomorrow 